Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. I'm just so excited to introduce our speaker today. George Verwer is a force of nature. Uh, he is just extraordinary. Some of you here know George well and are just excited to hear him. Some of you uh, haven't come across George before, so let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. He is utterly irrepressible as a pioneer. He's the founder of Operation Mobilization, which is this vast global missions agency. Do you know, just one thing that OM has done is started a whole network of church planting churches in India and just millions coming to Christ there. We get excited about planting two churches here this year. It is nothing compared to just that one bit of OM's work. George has been faithfully serving Jesus for many, many years. He is utterly passionate. I remember once uh, sharing a platform with him up in Blackpool and in the break between talks, he strapped himself on a roller coaster with some poor non Christian in the other seat and at the most scary moment said, do you know where you will go if you fall off this roller coaster? And, uh, uh, it, it, he's just, he's, he's utterly irrepressible. And one of the things I love about George is he's also brutally honest about the struggle and the failures and the mess of life. He is a prolific author. Uh, he, I'm sure he's going to talk to you about books. He prays for people like you wouldn't believe. My friend Dave Roberts Met him once in an airport. Uh, Dave had written a few books. Uh, George said, I'm going to pray for you. It's one of those things Christians say. And Dave thought nothing of it. He saw him several years later. And George recognized him and said, look, and opened a little book. And Dave's name was in there. And he said, I pray for you on this day every month. During one chance meeting in uh, an airport. George is a man of prayer. He's a pioneer, he's a maverick, he's an evangelist, he's a man of faith. He works by an entirely different economic system from one that I can understand. He shares his faith, he is the real deal, and he's been doing it for half a century or more. It is an honor. I, do you know what? I don't even care what George is about to say. It's just an honor to have men and women like him in our midst who've shown us the faithfulness of God down the years. I wonder if we, we don't normally do this. He's going to hate this, but I don't really care. I wonder if we could just stand and honor uh, just uh, one of the great statesmen, mission statesmen, as he comes to the platform, George Verwa. Amen. Okay. It's quite unusual for England, really. <laughs> I'm actually from New York City area, and it's just such a blessing, especially hearing of uh, new ones coming to Jesus. I've been 55 years in Britain, every part of the nation, especially walking through the cities at midnight, seeing people literally fall on their faces, fall in their own vomit. I've seen 55 years of increased paganism and lostness in this nation that I've come to love. My wife and I both applied for citizenship. Uh, she was granted, but... Uh, they turned me down for further investigation. 
mainly connected with my travel. It felt I was away too much in the year that I applied, and it's extremely expensive to reapply, so I think I'll use my money for Bibles. But uh, people keep asking when we're returning to the States. This is the standard question for Americans when they're old. And so I'm just trying to make it clear we're, uh, we're not planning to return to uh, the States. We know some have been hoping for 50 years that I would leave, but we're planning <laughs> to... This is where God has called us, not just to Britain, but to all of Europe. I've ministered in almost every single European nation. Uh, I've just come from Germany. We had 8,000 at a whole weekend event. This is Germany. Think of all the lack of wisdom, understanding about the church in Germany, and the Muslims are taking over all this kinds of exaggeration. God is on the move there, just as in your country, not to the same level. We hope maybe in the future. We had 8,000 at this weekend, powerful Bible teaching. I was just coming toward the end and shared on the challenge, the need for workers, on that passage in Isaiah 6, here am I, send me. Many of you have prayed that prayer. And we only had 5,000 in the tent at that time. And when I gave the invitation, 95% um, of those young people stood to commit their lives. And pray, here am I, send me, I'm available. Might be across the street, might be, I talked about Berlin. I talked about, of course, the regions beyond and India where my wife and I have lived uh, for some years. So it's, um, it's a privilege. And I appreciate being invited when I'm now so old. I've been out of the leadership of OM 15 years. I wish our young British director, we were ministering together last night at the 60th anniversary of OM uh, globally. Uh, he's only in his uh, 40s, just taken over the leadership of OM in the UK. Uh, one of his right arm guys is here, Steve. I hope you can meet Steve. But we believe it's uh, OM's being reinvented under the leadership of a Chinese brother. And I don't get involved in that. I'm just uh, raising funds and praying, sometimes seven, eight hours a day of intercession, especially for individuals. And I uh, stay out of the leadership. I have a little team, of course, with me over there in Forest Hill. Uh, we had 200 at our meeting there yesterday, or more than that. I'm just glad it didn't rain because it was all out in the garden. And uh, how many of you ever had a rain out experience? Uh, you know, you're all, <laughs> this is the number one nation in the world for rain out experiences. But uh, <laughs> hallelujah, it's good to be back here. I've been here before. And I want to just throw out a few prayer requests before I get into the main message. We also would like to give everybody at least one or two books as a gift. Please learn to receive unwanted gifts. Some of you don't want a book. You don't read. Uh, by the way, one of my favorite books is uh, When God is on Mute. I really recommend that book. I, I've not actually read it myself, but the cover. <laughs> the cover really... It, it really spoke to my heart. You know, when you're in the fast lane, sometimes you can just handle covers. One of my covers is Out of the Comfort Zone. A lot of people have not read the book, but I think God is using uh, the cover. But uh, I have read part of it, actually. And I just thank the Lord for what he's still doing through the printed page and every other kind of communication, uh, especially through the Internet. And downloading books on your, on your Kindle or on your phone. It's exciting. It's not, it's not either or. Uh, we thought 
20 years ago, people said radio is finished. Radio is finished. Now we got digital radio. Surveys show a lot of people are still listening to the radio. Every kind of wild station you can imagine. And so God is still using the printed page, and we'd like to give you a book. All over the world, I've had to learn to receive unwanted gifts. My wife and I are trying to downsize. We don't want more, you know, elephants and things to bring back, statues, of course, <laughs> to our little house in West Wickham. But I always, and my mother taught me this, she would, to be polite, and so I receive unwanted gifts. So whether you want a book this morning or not, just take one book uh, the table is out there somewhere, I think the upper level, and you'll meet Mike and my helper, and Josh who's going to take Michael's job the end of August. Both of my helpers are there, and Steve, um, we'd love to talk to you. My first prayer request is pretty straightforward. We need people like you for one year. We don't want to keep you. We'll send you back or send you one of your prayer closets, uh, but we want you for one year on our ship to expose you to five, six, depends on the year, 15 nations of the world in one year. It's a exposure, hard work, keep the ship afloat uh, program. And we need workers. Many come for one year. And so every year, 400 people live on this ship. Just sort of stretch this place out and turn it upside down and sail it. And you can understand our new ship, Lagos Hope. A miracle, 10 years. It just had a tour of Africa. If you'd like to know about it, email me. It's just off the charts. What God did through this army, a very ordinary people. And that's one of the reasons the ship makes an impact because most people in the Church of Jesus Christ and all these different nations, they're ordinary people. They have struggled believing that God could ever use them. God uses ordinary people. And when they come to this ship and they hear the story, my own story that's now on film, the lady who prayed for me, the struggles I had as a young Christian in all my Christian life, and they see that God can use this New York City loudmouth, son of a Dutch immigrant, they get hope that God could use them. Though they might be disabled, they might be very poor. Uh, literally millions have been up the gangway of our ship, four, five million people. Can you imagine the opportunity? But the Bible says, and I'm sure you all know the verse, the harvest is plenteous and the, worker, the workers are few. And especially if you're still single, blessed are those who are wise enough to stay single at least till they're 30. But uh, there's a lot of lack of wisdom in general, including me married at 21. I've already got three great grandkids. I'm going completely crazy. But anyway, <laughs> if somehow you're still single, we, especially men, we get two women for every man on our ship. The main prayer of a lot of men uh, in this generation of cowards is, Lord, here am I, send my sister. <laughs> no, the prayer is, here am I, send me. And we really would appreciate if some men would give a year to our ship. I want to pray. Lord, right now, I believe it's God's providence. I had this privilege to come back here, Lord. I'm known as the guy that doesn't get invited back. So this is a miracle. And it's because Pete Gregg is crazier than I am. So I just thank you for this opportunity to once again share. And I ask, Lord of the harvest, send forth someone Lord, even one from this church to help us keep this ship going as so many are leaving 
and mission agencies are recruiting our people from right off under our nose, which we celebrate. But Lord, we need to see others raised up who can step into the gap. We pray for the ship in Jamaica as 54,000 people have already visited and hundreds of thousands of books and Bibles have gone out. And we ask, Lord, for revival in the Jamaican church. We ask for a greater quality of cutting-edge, spirit-filled leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Another thing I like about coming here is you don't put such a time bind and tell me I have to speak in a certain amount of time. You know, I've been ministering a lot among the Anglicans, and uh, they really generally like it short. I remember one Anglican vicar, he had a beautiful smile, and uh, he told me I had 19 minutes to speak. And I begged him and said, look, I don't know your people, I'm new, I may not get back here again, can I have a little longer? He said, you know, we already considered that because we heard about you, and we're giving you 21 minutes for sharing uh, in the ministry. A little different in India, where I arrived late, 11 o'clock at night, they'd been praying and worshiping for five hours before I got there in some little village. I arrived around 11 at night. I was a little weary, so I only preached for an hour. Soon as I finished preaching, the leaders got me in a corner, said, dear brother, dear brother, we've been waiting here four or five hours. We expected a full meal, and you've just given us this appetizer. We, we want more. And so I, I, I think I talked him into continuing in the morning. I've had the privilege of being in a hundred different nations, and it's, you'll have to have a little, uh, you know, a little patience with me as I, I tend to get a little confused. But I know I'm in England, and I know I'm in Guilford, and I know God is working in your city. There's, you may call it a town, but uh, there's a lot of great churches here. I speak in a number of them, and I hope you fellowship with people. And what a thrill to hear what you said about churches coming and praying together. I just think that's so beautiful, so important. There's two items that I especially would like to push. One is my own book, forgive me. But it's because I sat at the feet of hundreds of men and women through their tapes, their CDs, through the Internet for 62 years. I, when I was saved in the Billy Graham meeting, a passion for the Word of God and biblical teaching just took over my life. And so I've been reading and listening to thousands, literally thousands, but I'll just say a few hundred especially influenced me. And what I've received from them and what I've seen, especially a lot of foolishness and folly all over the world, uh, some of it just so horrendous, I dare not even mention it in public. I've tried to condense that into this legacy book to prepare for my going on uh, to glory. By the way, another reason you wouldn't want to return to the States, it's 50% cheaper to die and get buried or cremated here. So that's another little <laughs> sideline. The Americans have called this book Messiology. Messiology is my own word. I shared with it last time I was here. It's based on my George Verwer proverb, which is not in the Bible. I don't know how to apply, uh, but a lot of people have talked about my proverb. Where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later, there's a mess. <laughs> Messiology is the other side of the coin. You know, as, as the leader of OM for 46 years, every day I was in mess prevention. Every day I was committed to excellency, committed to holiness from the time I got up until the time I went to bed. 
But despite that, we saw sin, we saw failure, we saw mistakes. And so messiology, my own word, is just how God can work even in a messy situation. And I think from the feedback I've had from hundreds of people, mainly through email, a lot of people are getting encouraged through this book. And that's all I want to do is encourage you. I wanted to give it free. I don't have enough. Your church has really grown since the last time I was here. So we just put a little donation on it. We won't be beat by the pound shop. So even 50 pence, uh, you can have uh, this book published by our friends just down the road here, uh, CWR, who also are just releasing the audio book with my own voice. And then the other thing I'd like to mention also, I wanted to give it free, but I don't have enough, is a film of my life story. Now, this isn't uh, for older people. This film was produced uh, for young people. It's a little offensive as a chunk of the film, of the filming, which wasn't supposed to be in the film, me dancing in the underground system of, uh, of Madrid somehow crept into the film, which is offending uh, some and closing doors to anti-dancing churches. But uh, <laughs> please show it to young people. It's called George For Real. It has been on television all over the world, mainly smaller channels. My book, Revolution of Love, the original sort of uh, Magna Carta of OM, is available. I think that's free. This phenomenal book, an unusual resource about Europe. It's starting to get out of date, but the resources are so powerful. One of the guys I once went jogging with, he was an evangelist at that time, and then he became a vicar, which was really interesting. And he did a book, and it didn't sell well. You know, it's one thing to write a book, it's another thing to distribute it. But it's a great book. To boldly go, fits in, doesn't it, to this morning. We want to give that to you. He gave me a couple thousand, so we're just passing them on to you. When are you going to give me free books? You're pretty tight with your books. But uh, to boldly go, boldly. I know you've got financial needs, kids, families, all that. <laughs> and then what other book is The Cross and the Crescent? We need to understand Muslims better. We shouldn't just pull one verse that's a militant verse out of the Quran and keep hitting them on the head with it. And this is what even Christians have done in their books. We're in, a, we're in a much more complex situation. And many, many Muslims never even read any of those verses. And we cannot put all Muslims in the same box. We have 1,000 workers among Muslims. Our brother who was up here this morning, and that was in God's providence, these are our heroes. We've been in Muslim work for 50 years. We have men fluent in the language, fluent in the culture, who have degrees in Islamics, and most of them would stand with me in what I'm saying. I actually, on the train, uh, answered an email from a writer in America who's taking my reaction to the London, uh, the London tragedy on the bridge and my other thoughts about global Islam and going into a press release all over the world probably this afternoon. But may we be committed to love these people, to befriend them, because uh, a lot of the information given against Muslim is Islamist terrorists, and we know Islam is involved, they are religious. We have 100,000 fanatic neo-Nazis in America. They are totally radical and ready to kill. Many of them profess to be Christians. You know, are they really Christians? I don't think so. And so, at present, the majority of Muslims are grieved, hurt, confused, of course, by what's happened 
partly because of all the hate language against them, especially out of Paris. We forget things, it goes out of the news, but when their prophet that they so highly esteem is so completely mocked and defaced, then even people who are totally moderate and hate terrorism, they get confused as to what they should do. And these kind of statements, that's what causes young people to sign up and be ready to give their lives. And I have known for a long time that Manchester in London would soon be happening and the way that they're winning recruits partly because of our stupidity. That's never an excuse. It's never an excuse for terrorism. But we need to understand the Muslim mind and this powerful force in which people are willing to tie bombs around their bodies. It's been going on for years and walk into a building. If you want to understand what's going on globally, take Manchester, which deeply hurts me. Our work was born out of Manchester, really, in the UK. Take this London Bridge that I've crossed 100 times and multiply it by 100, and you'll get a picture of what's going on in Afghanistan and Syria. One of our close friends has just been murdered in Kabul. Her guard was beheaded. Her co-worker was kidnapped. We are involved in the midst of all of it. And yet, as you've pointed out, in the midst of this horror, and the world has always been like this. Why don't you do a restudy on history or go to the War Museum and walk through the Holocaust section of the War Museum and you realize none of this is new for Satan as a roaring lion has always been seeking whom he may devour. And things probably are going to get worse. And yet God keeps working and has been for thousands of years. Let's just pray. We pray, Lord, for those that have lost loved ones. What I'm praying and what I'm saying right now probably wouldn't mean much to them. They have lost a child, a loved one. And it's true in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan. It's true in northern Nigeria. It's true in Eritrea. It's true in southern Sudan. It's true in about 40 areas that are massive suffering zones right now across the world. And we pray for opportunities to minister to people who are bereaving. And we pray, Lord, that through it all, they would come to faith in you, Lord Jesus, and experience forgiveness of sin and become your follower. We thank you, Lord, that more Muslims are turning to you than ever before in history. Now, maybe 60 places around the world where we can find a 1,000 Muslims worshiping you. And we believe it's tied in with a great in increase of intercession for the Muslim world. And especially during Ramadan, as this Ramadan prayer booklet has gone out around the world and through the internet. We're trusting you. We're looking to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your prayers. I could give you another 100 prayer requests, but we don't have time uh, for that. I think just to try to give a picture of what I'm attempting to do in much weakness this morning is that just, despite whatever else I say, I just want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Because I battle a lot of discouragement in my life, a lot of disappointment, and uh, often I haven't found it easy to somehow bounce back and keep on keeping on. I brought with me my, my old Bible. I never use this Bible anymore, but I left my uh, main Bible in Germany. I'm back there again preaching in a few weeks. So I found this old Bible that I used to use for about 20 years in the 60s and the 70s. And in this Bible, I put some 
uh, quotations that really helped me to keep on keeping on. By the way, I've never missed a single day since my conversion. I've always experienced God's grace every day. Uh, maybe I should, because some of you knew, just quickly share my story. I'm not from a Christian home. Grandfather was from the Netherlands. He was an atheist. My other grandfather was Irish, Scottish, and English blood mix. That's basically toxic. He was a drunk. My grandmother divorced him. And uh, yet I had good parents. They were seekers. So at 16, I was a happy kid. I never had an unhappy day in my childhood. I knew how to make money. I had a business selling a red-hot fire extinguisher. I told you about that last time. It was the size of this mic. Could put out petrol fires. So I'd light petrol fires in front of people's houses, put them out, and I could convince women very quickly their house could burn down very easily through a little fire in the kitchen when they weren't looking. And so women especially were very susceptible to my sales tactics. And I soon had 200 people uh, part-time selling fire extinguishers and sat back dreaming about the good life. As my main thing was girls, about 32 different girls blew my romantic circuits before I was 17. So I was one very happy teenager there outside New York City uh, especially rock and roll, a bit of sports. And I was really enjoying life when a, a meddler, holy ghost interferer, a woman of prayer came into my life. If you're wanting to live a selfish life, probably no one like that here this morning, avoid women of prayer. <laughs> Don't sit next to them. Don't let them get your name. <laughs> I had broken into a house. The police had caught me in this house. We're making a big fuss. I wasn't really stealing. I was just doing my thing. Uh, but the police had other ideas. And, and, and somehow she heard about me and put my name on her Holy Ghost hit, hit list. She lived right near my high school where people were also talking about my stupid things. And she not only prayed, and I'm not exaggerating this. It's now in this film. She prayed not only that I become a Christian. She prayed, send him. She prayed I'd become a missionary. God would send me. <laughs> Probably didn't want me in the town anymore. Lord, send him. <laughs> and she then sent me a gospel of John through the post. And I began to read this little book at the same time, sort of a very mild, if there is such a thing, kind of pornography started pushing into my life. Mainly pictures of the most incredible women that you could imagine when you're 16. And the battle was on. And in God's mercy, to make this short, a great man of prayer. He's not known as a man of prayer. He's known as an evangelist. But I've studied this man's life. I've been with him. He's a man of prayer. He had staff quit because there was too much pressure to pray as part of the staff. His name is Billy Graham. He's 99. He's not preaching. He's not teaching. But through his films and videos, including new ones that are really quite with it, and even in music, millions have been coming to Jesus in the last 20 years through video uh, communication, especially in India, but all over the world. He was just in New York City for one night, and a business person in the story has never been told of what business people and professional people have done for global missions. Often churches are not able to do much for global missions, especially mission agencies like OM. They have their own programs. They're struggling to pay the bills. And again and again, God raises up business people and blesses their business. I've got one right now, just set up a $200,000 matching fund for me. And I've just already reached the target. And that's been going on for like 50, uh, 58 or so years. 
Anyway, this was just a businessman offering me a seat on a bus, on a coach in New York City. I like free things. I had read a little bit about Billy Graham. I was by then a seeker reading that Gospel of John. I went to New York City that night and I heard the gospel that you folks are declaring wherever you go. And that has brought most of you to Jesus. So God works, doesn't he, in a variety of ways. And many of our workers came to Jesus before they were 10 years old in great Christian families, and we honor that. But I heard the gospel for the first time. And then Billy Graham, he says, you know, you're going in one direction. You stop, you do a U-turn, and you go in God's direction. There may be someone here this morning. You've not yet done that. What a wonderful thing. If this very day you could do that God U-turn and believe on the Lord Jesus. Billy made it clear And it's not easy. It's not works. It's not trying to be good. It's not going to church. It's trusting Jesus and what he has done on the cross. And I found myself going forward in Madison Square Garden in front of 20,000 people and believing on Jesus. And he saved me by his grace. And that's been a reality ever since. When I shared that at 17 and 18, it didn't mean much to most people. Did to some, hallelujah. I've had 62 years now of ministering. But you know, when an old geezer like me shares that he's been walking in phenomenal fulfillment. People talk about the need for fulfillment. It's basic in our society. I've hardly had a day in which I didn't sense God doing something through me, even though it may have been some little tiny thing, another 100,000 tracks on Howrah Bridge in Calcutta, knowing that they've had something of the gospel of Jesus or just giving a cup of cold water in his name, which the Bible says will get a reward. And so I just thank the Lord for grace and mercy and forgiveness. But I wanted to share this, especially for young believers. I had a lot of struggles as a young Christian, especially as I met more legalistic people. You don't have so many of those, especially in a Grace Awakened uh, out-of-the-box fellowship like yours. But I went back to a more legalistic environment, which I wasn't accustomed to, and I met somebody that said, now that you're a Christian, no more kissing. (laughs) What? Billy Graham didn't say anything about that. This is my main thing, kissing. I was a kissing Pharisee. Because I would only kiss girls, and I, I was judgmental of my student, you know, classmates that were having sex. Oh, I thought, that's terrible. Kissing only. I was going to be president of the kissing only club. And now I meet somebody, no more kissing. Then I met someone else. He said, as a Christian, no more dancing. What? Another main passion of my life, dancing, rock and roll was just coming in. And uh, so, you know, I looked for a verse, thou shalt not dance. And another one, thou shalt not kiss. And I didn't find those verses. So I kept dancing and I kept kissing every girl available. Quite a few were not available. And a lot lot of confusing situations. I led a girl. I'm not exaggerating. I led a girl to Jesus that I was interested in. I didn't end up kissing her for the next half an hour. It's not really in the follow-up books and... Then another girl I was cuckoo about, we're in the car in the woods, we shouldn't have been in the woods, and the police caught us, they thought we were doing other things, and oh, her father freaked out, that was the end of that relationship. Then I was in the church parking lot with another girl that I was crazy for, and that ended up very confusing as I started to get beyond kissing, and God moved in. Isn't it wonderful when God moves in? And he showed me, you are addicted to romance. 
he sort of said, how am I going to use you when you just so easily get messed up with all kinds of girls? And they get hurt through this because in, they're thinking different things than I'm thinking. And God broke me. And one of the most important things in my life was to go cold turkey in regard to my sexuality, including the struggle with pornography. And that's when I devoured the word of God. That's when I went to Mexico. That's when I learned Spanish. We're celebrating 60 years of that. That's when I learned verses like, if any man come after me, let him deny self. No matter how many blessings you get in the bless up meetings, if Monday through Friday and Saturday you don't know how to deny self when the flesh is pulling, you're going to end up shipwrecked. The Bible talks about that. Paul said, I buffet my body and bring it into subjection, lest after preaching to others, I become a castaway. And I had, when I read those verses and I knew myself, had the fear I would be a castaway. I just thank the Lord. Oh, I've failed many times. He's never cast me away. He's continued to somehow use me right into these amazing senior years. Even speaking to 5,000 young people over in Germany. So I want to encourage you, keep on keeping on. Two years of this fasting, cold turkey, I was vulnerable. Because of what I saw in Mexico, I left university studies and enrolled at what was considered a rather extreme place, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I arrived there. I'm still really a young Christian. Hundreds of beautiful girls at Moody. You know, they're carrying big Bibles. Of course, you try to kiss one, you probably get King James to the head. Uh, I was infatuated with about seven girls crying out for mercy, wondering when I could break the fast. I didn't kiss any of them, but uh, in God's mercy, I just kept my passion. Evangelism, the word, prayer, discipline, preparing to go back to Mexico, learning Spanish. And when I rent, went to rent an evangelistic film, God had his purpose. The woman in charge of the film was to be my wife. The moment I saw her, it was love at first sight. I opened my big mouth, my Tongue goes faster than my brain. Perpetual challenge, especially if you get married. I once thought maybe I should have only had a parrot. But anyway, <laughs> for me, it was love at first sight. For her, it was fright at first sight. And so she was not interested, but uh, people were talking about me. And she read in the school paper, what a miracle of God's providence. She read in the school paper, George Verwer back from Mexico, man of God. She loved Jesus. She wanted to marry a man of God. So she gave me a chance to talk to her. I was so cuckoo in love, I thought I gotta try to scare her away, you know, the Gideon, chase her away thing. So I said, look, probably nothing gonna happen between me and you, hint, hint, but you need to know I'm gonna be a missionary. And if you marry me, probably you will be eaten alive by cannibals in Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Somebody later advised me this probably wasn't the best way to win her heart. She was not interested, but I mobilized prayer and God broke her heart, and she began to teach. I was a Bible, believe I was a Bible teacher. Some of you heard this story, so I gave her that key verse, submit unto your husband as unto the Lord. She just took that hook, line, and sinker, agreed to marry me, agreed to give all her money away, agreed no, no wedding, no ring, no expenses. We live on the floor. We're not going to eat much. Everything is for Bible distribution and opening more Christian bookshops, and Everything I asked, she did. And we had just such a tremendous marriage for several weeks. 
<laughs> then she started to read other verses. She read the whole chapter. That's a difficult. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 57 years I've been trying to obey that. And you're looking at one needy failure. But God gave me a forgiving wife. And God gave me the grace to keep growing and keep learning. And not be so hard on myself. I was so hard on myself in my desire for spirituality, my desire for revival. And that sometimes, of course, spilled over on my wife, who I hurt many times, mainly with my tongue. We've, seven, we've celebrated 57 great years. God's given us five grandchildren. Now we got three great-grandchildren. I just visited my new Swiss great-grandson. And uh, by the way, you all look so young. Does anybody here have grandchildren? That wasn't very good. Are any of you here, actually, you are a grandchild? Raise your hand. Some of you look a little confused, you know. I know there's a lot of gender confusion in these days, but maybe you could get some counseling. Tony Campalo says, grandchildren is God's prize to you for not killing off your own kids. But I don't think he got that from the Bible. Going back to my Bible, I want to share something. I pasted in my Bible. I cut it out from somewhere that has helped me so much. This may come as a little surprise, but I want to read this. It's called Paradoxical Commandments of Leadership by a guy named Howard Ferguson. You ready? Number one, people are illogical, unreasonable, self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. Four, the good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Five, honesty and frankness makes you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. Six, the biggest man with the biggest idea can be shot down by the smallest men with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. I cannot tell you how much I've seen the reality of that throughout the whole world in God's work. People favor underdogs, but they follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you, what you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Some of you know the story of one of the other companies I started in this country called Send the Light. Uh, long after I was no longer involved, it became the biggest literature publisher and bookseller and retailer in almost the whole of Europe. And then through a whole bunch of different things going wrong, the whole thing went under into bankruptcy. And so when I read things like this, what you spend years building may be destroyed overnight, build anyway. And so, of course, we continue and we could share some amazing stories about new ways that we're getting Christian resource out around the world. Number nine, people really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Le help them anyway. Give the world, this is one of my favorites, and you have to be maybe older before you can relate to this if your life so far has been fairly smooth sailing, but um, I'm not in that camp. Give the world the best you have, and you'll be kicked in the teeth. 
<laughs> Give the world the best you have anyway. To bring that into balance, the Lord gave me some other uh, quotations from another man of God, a guy named William Menager. This has really helped me because in the early days of our movement, we tended not to be real about our emotions. And uh, we hurt people at times because we were insensitive to their emotions. One of the young men and 60 men have had the job who worked for me a whole year as my helper traveling with me, later got his PhD and wrote a book about emotion, a Christian book. It's actually called Feeling. It never became a bestseller, which was rather discouraging for him. And God has used him in other ways, including launching the new, brand new, first time ever in history, African Study Bible, all done by Africans, just released a few months ago. And I realized in my own life, especially after I was married and had children, that I, uh, I needed help to find balance in connection with emotion. And God gave me this fantastic seven-point program. I know this is definitely for someone here this morning. How do we gain, and this is what I wanted, emotional maturity, especially important in marriage. Here's the points. The ability to deal constructively with reality. When we get excited, when we do great things, we pray great prayers. There's a danger we can enter into a world of unreality. As a movement, we suffered a bit at times from that. The ability to deal constructively with reality. Two, the capacity to adapt to change. Hallelujah. Three, a relative freedom from symptoms that are produced by tension and anxiety. So important in my life, especially John Haggai's book, How to Deal with Worry and Anxiety, as I struggled so often with that. Four, the capacity to find more satisfaction from giving than receiving. Five, the capacity to relate to other people in a consistent manner and with mutual satisfaction and helpfulness. Six, the capacity to supplement to direct one's instinctive hostile energy. And I discovered tremendous hostile energy, especially when I was driving. Then I read Billy Graham's sermon. It just knocked me out. Highway safety, a spiritual problem. Whoa, constantly repenting in my driving. I'm doing a lot better now. I just, I go by train. The capacity <laughs> to supplement, to redirect one's instinctive hostile energy into creative constructive outlets, and seven, the capacity to love. If you're going to be a long-distance marathon runner, you need to find that balance between that which you have a passion for, you want to do it, you are doing it, but sometimes you find it draining. The balance between that and what refuels you for me, sitting, listening to a great classical conference, uh, concert, often, of course, on a CD or through the radio, or almost every kind of music you can imagine has helped me in my pilgrimage through discouragement, through disappointment. I've had a few thousand through family crisis. We've had some of those as well. And I just thank the Lord for verses like that passage in Hebrews, which I may have shared last time, 
We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us therefore run the race, laying aside every weight. He goes on to talk about keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I want to close by asking, are you keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus? Are you memorizing? I urge you to do it. Memorize and meditate on verses that somehow challenge you, encourage you. Like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast. Not easy for my temperament. I'm an all over the place kind of a character. Just ask my wife. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We had that element from what Greg shared in the beginning. Even though our hearts are ripped out these days, every day I'm involved in North Korea. Every day I'm involved in Afghanistan. Every day I'm involved in the Syrian crisis. When I was a student at Moody, God gave me a crisis in the library and told me Iraq was to be one of the most important nations in my life. So what do you think I've been going through the last 10 years in connection with Iraq? And I've been rereading lamentations and learning to lament and learning to weep but as I come through that dark tunnel, I'm always praising Jesus and experiencing joy. One of my biggest problems is that I've seen so much suffering. I'm wrestling with so many problems. I have a global ministry part of OM called Special Projects. We have a budget of a couple million pounds, and I am responsible to spend every one of those pounds carefully for the kingdom. And of course, I'm responsible to raise it as well. So every day, the emails are there. Every day, the requests. Every day, the crisis. And yet somehow, I'm always praising him. And I really sleep well. Casting every care upon him. First Peter 5, 7. He cares for you. Are you doing that? We all have cares. And if any of you need someone to personally pray for you, I'm sure you probably have too many praying for you. You're asking some to back off. But uh, I would love to pray for you personally. I read every email personally. You can easily find me by Googling my name. I think they'll give my, I'll be giving my email out at the end of the meeting. But I just leave with this word. As you think of me and my flags of the world jacket and you think of this globe, just think of the challenge. Keep on keeping on. Don't get off the train when it's in the trouble. I don't know if any of you... Even as longer-term Christians have fallen into the pornography thing, I've been completely knocked out as a Christian leader by pornography on a few occasions. When someone, when, when someone like me has that, you just want to quit. You, you get so down on yourself, you feel you're such a scumbag. I just thank God for a wife that knows my struggle. Once I was to speak 30 years ago in a major meeting in Edinburgh, and I was always rejoicing. I never spent any money on these magazines. This is before Internet. I would resist these expensive magazines, even though, boy, I wanted to sometimes get a hold of them. But this was to be a deadly day in my life when a super expensive magazine was laying in the toilet in Edinburgh where I was just wanting to go to the loo. I'd love to give you my victorious life story. You know, I just looked at the magazine, zap, it just disappeared in the power of God. And I came out, preached a meeting, and people were saved. The fact is the magazine made a fool out of me, and I wanted to give up and just go back to where Sort of God found me when I was 16, but I knew about forgiveness. I knew about grace. I knew that God loved me even when I was flat on my face through stupid failure. And so I quickly repented. And when I preached just an hour later, somehow God worked 
That message went all over the world and was used in the lives of many people. I don't understand that, except it's radical grace. We have a hurting world. Many people are defeated by some habit that keeps tormenting them, whatever it might be. And you and I sitting here, we have the answer. Grace, forgiveness, God's love. Let's go for it. And if a character like me, and I've only given you 5% of my struggles, could somehow keep on keeping on, then anybody can do it. Anybody. It's not rocket science to live for Jesus because he's given us his word. He's indwelt us by his Holy Spirit. So be encouraged. God wants to use you more perhaps than you've ever dreamed. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for such a wonderful, receptive group of people, unless they've all been drinking. And I just ask your blessing upon them. I ask for a refilling of the Holy Spirit. And I just thank you for what you are doing in the midst of a very messy world. And Father, our hearts are broken over the suffering and the sadness. We weep with those that weep, but we rejoice with those that rejoice. And around the world this past week, hundreds of thousands more have come to know you. We have to rejoice. Strengthen us as we continue to be marathon runners in your great race. In Jesus' name, amen.